Welcome to the Red Letter Christians podcast. Red Letter Christians gets our name from the Bibles that highlight the words of Jesus in red. And we're aspiring to live as if Jesus meant the stuff he said. We know that the loudest, most prominent voices representing Christianity in America haven't always been the most beautiful or the most faithful voices. And we know that the way we change the narrative is by changing the narrators. We are committed to amplifying the voices of people who are dedicated to Jesus and to justice. All right, we are we are becoming live here at the beginning of 2023. I'm gonna good morning and happy new year. Yes, I'm gonna put the link here for uh, John. We don't have Katie. Katie Kirkpatrick is our wonderful admin person that does a lot of different things, but she's uh, um, our our main tech person and she's in Puerto Rico with her family, bless her. So we're just going to get the link up on different things real quick here. I got to do it with my, my, um, myself here. So just a second. (laughs) Welcome everybody, Jonathan. This is a good uh, moment to pause (laughs) and reflect on what, uh, brain science teaches us, which is that it's impossible to multitask. You have to focus on one thing at a time. Shane is focused on getting us online. We'll focus on uh, getting started for prayer. It's an exciting day. We've got Amanda Tyler with us from the Baptist yes. Committee. So delighted to have you. I'm thrilled to be here. Happy New Year to you both. Thank you. Happy and New Year to you. And And we're... Yeah, we're we're eager to pray together here at the beginning of the year. Yeah, let me just tell everybody a couple things as folks trickle in. Amanda, we usually have folks joining us from all different parts of the world and different time zones. And some folks will be listening to this on the podcast or watching it afterwards. But um, we love doing this. We've been doing this for a couple of years now, and I hope that you all will uh, do monthly prayer with us at the first it's usually the first day of each month sometimes we flex based on time zones and availability but it's usually the first or the the second like we're doing today of each month this year we're going to have some great guests and more than anything just unite our hearts together in prayer so if you want to kick off the the new year one of your resolutions or goals is to do a little prayer or spiritual practice we would love for you to join us each month a uh, couple of things on the horizon at Red Letter Christians are that we're doing a book club each month. So I don't know, Jonathan or Amanda, if you've seen uh, Otis Boss's new book, but this is going to be our, our January book. It comes out tomorrow, actually. You can order it today, but go ahead and grab a copy of this. It's not real long, but boy, it is thick and rich. The Blue Notes preacher, uh, Otis Moss III, bringing it. So Dancing in the Darkness, that's going to be the book we're reading together this month. And uh, Reverend Otis Moss will join us at the end of the month to talk about it together. Um uh, so that's great. And then um, next month, we're, we're, it's this, this, uh, this month will be the anniversary of Roe versus Wade. Um, there's also a lot of other things that we'll be remembering this month. Um, the annexation of Hawaii, the colonization of Hawaii. Uh, we remember the gold rush in um, California that um, cost so many native lives. Uh, there was at one point there was $5 a head. That was offered for any Native American who was killed in California. So that gold rush 
um, was was just a massacre. Only about 30,000 Native folks survived that in California. So we remember that. We remembered Gandhi this month. Um, uh, he was assassinated uh, on the 30th. Uh, we remember Dr. King. It's his birthday this month. Uh, so there's all kinds of other saints we've got. Um, we, we remember through the month of January. Um, and we have Epiphany coming up. So it's still Christmas season, and you can read more about all that in Common Prayer. So uh, next month we're doing, I've got a new book coming out called Rethinking Life, and we're going to read that together to think about what it really looks to advocate for life on all fronts, not just one issue, but uh, to see. Who's going to interview you? I, John, we might have to we might have to do it together, Jonathan. I'm a little embarrassed because, you know, I don't. I've I don't got some questions. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you do. And then just uh, just another heads up. I just got an email from uh, Dr. Cornell West, too. We're going to do his book, The Radical King, um, in April. So April, this month's Dr. King's birthday, but April is the 55th anniversary of his um, uh, assassination. So we'll do uh, The Radical King um, this uh, in April. We've got all, all kinds of other stuff that we're um, planning. We're trying to do a one of those faith forums john on the enneagram we've never really talked much about the enneagram officially within rlc so if you don't know what that is totally cool but we're gonna do a little faith forum on it um but this month as we get ready for prayer it's also heavy on our hearts that this is the anniversary of the january 6th insurrection we're totally going to talk about that no but no person better to talk about that with than amanda tyler um i'm also thinking about tomorrow is the first execution scheduled um, uh, for this year uh, only three days into the new year. And we've got our first execution scheduled. So we're teaming up with death penalty action to have a vigil around that. So there's always stuff happening y'all. And we are at, at red letter Christians. We believe in prayer and action. So you'll see all kinds of ways that you can pray together with us, but also ways that you can show up. Uh, and we're going to talk about some of those today. So before we do anything else, Jonathan, you want to give us a, you, you should, first of all, you should tell a little bit about the new thing on your, on your plate in uh, 2023, before we pray this, this wonderful project at Yale, right? With my friend, William Barber and uh, Roz Pellis and Valerie Egwaben, uh we've just launched a new center for public policy and public theology at Yale Divinity School. So I'm uh, I'm tell, telling everybody, I'm not leaving Durham. I'm still going to be here. Root Bahas is still here. Home is still here. But um, I'll be doing a good bit of work uh, uh, up at Yale University. So if you're in and around New Haven, stop by. We'll also be um, uh, launching some new uh, events for folks that aren't on campus um, uh, here in the new year. So stay tuned. You can read about it online. You know that Yale was built on the Winchester estate. It's built on gun land. Do you know that? Oh, yes. On my <laughs> so little jogs we, up there. I jog around the, 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 the Winchester out of there. We might need to bring the forge up there. Yeah, but anyway, okay, let's do it. Cool. We're going to do January 2nd, y'all, because it's January 2nd. So here we go. Let us pray. You want to you tell us about Basil of Caesarea? I would love to. So Basil Caesarea is who we remember today. He was uh, alive from 330 AD to 379. He was born in modern day Turkey. His grandfather was martyred. His brother, Gregory, 
uh, became a really influential bishop in an age marked by doctrinal battles within the church. Basil was a tireless defender of orthodoxy. He's known as an early developer of Christian monasticism. He's an incredible preacher and writer. Among his many writings are some of the church's earliest prayers. Basil first left the world to join the monastery, but eventually brought the monastery to the world uh, through the city of Basiliad, also called the New City. This was a giant community of monastic men and women working with doctors and other lay people to provide food, clothing, shelter, and medical assistance to the poor. He later went on to become a priest and bishop, uh, and he always kept his vision of a monastic life that was not cut off from the world, but embracing the pain and sorrow of the world. And for those who do um, evening prayer with us, and it's, it's in the book, um, A Prayer for Every Evening of the Week, uh, every night, uh, when you light the Christ candle, that prayer we pray, it's called the Fos Hilaron. Um, it's a, one of Basil's prayers, so... If you're praying common prayer, you're praying Basil fairly frequently. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord, let my soul rise up to meet you as the day rises to meet the sun. Oh, Lord, let my soul rise up to meet you as the day rises to meet the sun. Glory to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and will be forever. Amen. Come, let us bow down and bend the knee. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. Steal away, steal away, steal away to Jesus. Steal away, steal away home. Ain't got long to stay here. Steal away, steal away, steal away to Jesus. Steal away, steal away home. Ain't got long. To stay here. Mm. Lord, help us believe that we might see you come. This is from Psalm 14. The fool has said in his heart, There is no God. All are corrupt and commit abominable acts. There is none who does any good. The Lord looks down from heaven upon us all to see if there is any who is wise, if there is one who seeks after God. Everyone who has proved faithless, everyone has proved faithless. All alike have turned bad. There is none who does good, no, not one. Have they no knowledge, all those evildoers, who eat up my people like bread and do not call upon the Lord? Lord, help us believe that we might see you come. Our gospel reading this morning is from John chapter 6. He asked this only to test them, for he already had in mind 
what he was going to do. Oh, wait, I got that wrong. John chapter 6, beginning with verse uh, 41. At this, the Jews there began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws them, and I will raise them up at the last day. It's written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard the Father and learned from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Mm. Lord, help us believe that we might see you come. And this is a quote from St. Basil. When someone steals a person's clothes, we call them a thief. Should we not give the same name to the one who could clothe the naked and does not. The bread in your cupboard belongs to the hungry. The coat hanging unused in your closet belongs to those who need it. The shoes rotting in your closet to the one who has no shoes. The money which you hoard up belongs to the poor. Glory. Amen. So this is when we get to pause and talk with a friend. Thanks, Amanda. I know it's been a busy uh, uh, season with our families and holidays, and we maneuvered around because we really wanted to be with you and kick off the new year in prayer. Thanks so much for joining us. Well, this is just such a blessing to start the year this way with with both of you, uh, justice seekers and truth tellers, and um, we have... I, it was good to look ahead on the calendar and see how much we have to mark in the month ahead. Yes, indeed. And uh, for a little way of intro, we can we can tag team this a little bit. But you're you're doing all kinds of wonderful work. I think that the newest connection that we had was around Christians against Christian nationalism which you've kind of been heading up with a great team of others. Uh, but it's a project of the. Baptist Joint Committee that you've been leading, and um, you've been really busy. You just testified before Congress about the threat of Christian nationalism to the January 6th committee. Uh, we're planning a vigil that we're going to hear about that you're you're hosting um, on the anniversary of January 6th. But on our way back, I, I think I mentioned this to you, that we, Katie and I, we're making the trek back from down south with family, and we saw you on MSNBC, and you did such a wonderful job at naming why Christian nationalism, and we'll define that for folks that maybe um, are having a hard time wrapping their hands around it, but why it's a threat both to democracy, but also a threat to our Christian faith. And that's, uh, as we come to this time of prayer, I think that's what we want to be holding up in prayer and talking about with you. But Jonathan, how'd you all you and Amanda, you've done some stuff together, too, around Christian nationalism. Yeah, some, some of this, this same stuff. And I, I think most people probably, well, 
most folks in our circles probably know you from this leadership you've been offering uh, as a a real um, a defender of the faith against these folks who claim the name of faith but are using you know uh, lots of power and money and other things to actually uh, subvert the faith. So I wanted to uh, just for folks who are with us today. Uh, to give you a chance before we get into some of that to talk about your own faith journey. Where where do you come from to this work? You know, what, what do people not know about Amanda Tyler and how she came to know and love Jesus? <laughs> well, um, I, I am a Christian. I am a Baptist Christian uh, and was raised in Baptist churches in Austin, Texas, um, churches that probably at one time were Southern Baptist churches, but who stopped being Southern Baptist when they wouldn't affirm uh, the equality of women in, mm-hmm. in churches. And so uh, grew up in other Baptist uh, denominations in the South and learned as a college student, when I moved to Washington, DC, I went to Georgetown university, a wonderful Jesuit uh, Catholic institution and, and learned Uh, when I was in school there about the work of Baptist Joint Committee for Religious Liberty, um, an advocacy and education organization headquartered in Washington, D.C. that defends the rights of everyone to to practice their religion or choose not to practice their religion, um, any religion they see fit or no religion at all. And um, that work uh, was deeply meaningful to me to to be able to unite both my um, Christian and Baptist identity with this call for justice in, in particularly in the realms of law and politics, which is my uh, professional calling. And so I started volunteering and then interning at this organization called Baptist Joint Committee back when I was in college and mm-hmm. um, remained involved with the organization uh, when I left there to go to law school. I worked as a lawyer and then I um, worked for a member of Congress, but always stayed connected with BJC. And then uh, back in 2016, um, heard a calling to uh, to lead the organization when the longtime leader of BJC announced his retirement and answered that call in September of 2016, but did not take over leadership of BJC until January 2017. And I use those dates because something Mm. really (laughs) seismic happened in American culture and politics in those intervening months where Mm. we had the election of Donald Trump. And so I took over leadership of the organization just two weeks before uh, he was inaugurated. And so my I've been leading the organization now for six years and um that has been that's been my professional experience. So you started with faith, <laughs> but um, but that that got me to the calling um, to lead this organization, yes, advocating for religious freedom. Yeah, and as a fellow Baptist, I also was raised in Baptist churches in the South. Still a member of the St. John's Missionary Baptist Church. Um, I share with you this uh, deep commitment to uh, religious freedom and uh, to the way that. Um, you know, it's always been especially necessary for minority faiths 
And when Baptists were a minority, boy, we sure needed it. Uh, you you, you want to refresh some folks on some of yeah. that history? Ann <laughs> Hutchinson and John Leland and all those folks that said, we got to have religious freedom in this country. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think this idea of Baptists being in a privileged majority state is relatively recent memory um, when we think about the arc of arc of the Baptist story. And the Baptist movement began uh, more than 400 years ago in Europe, and Baptists were a persecuted minority from the start. And um, But it was not just the experience, I think, of, of being a, a persecuted minority, but also the theology of soul freedom that yeah. is that is key to the Baptist uh, expression of Christianity that led these early Baptists to advocate for universal religious freedom. And in fact, Thomas Hellis, one of the co-founders of the Baptist movement, wrote the first defense of universal religious freedom in the English language um, and uh, gave it a copy of it to King James I, as in the King James Bible. And uh, um, that <laughs> That word of religious freedom, uh, which he spoke, uh, was not taken well by the king and and Hellas was imprisoned um, and later died in prison for his advocacy for religious freedom. Um, and then, of course, Baptists in the American colonies um, were also persecuted, um, whipped and jailed and fined for their refusal to get a license to preach um, for for their insistence that their authority uh, to preach did not come from government, but from God, and uh, they they stay true uh, to to that advocacy, you know. And I think at BJC we try to continue to tell these stories of of the early Baptists, while also acknowledging that our history has often been white centered. We've centered on the experience of white Baptists and and haven't as much told the story of Baptists um, in the United States who uh, began their ministries in, in enslavement and mm -hmm. how Baptist um, and that, that, that deep sense of freedom motivated, um, motivated Baptists to, to shout for freedom. And, and we can think about prophets like King um, that, that we talked about and, and others um, uh, throughout the years who who use their Baptist commitment to religious freedom to to seek out freedom for everyone um, against the oppressive majority. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm the, uh, the 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 I grew up Methodist, Amanda, so forgive me on that. My grandparents were Baptist, so I'm, I'm feeling like I got to wear that hat this morning. You know what else? When I was I was listening to uh, Dr. Cornell West at uh, Berkeley Theology School, you know, for the is like the 150th year celebration or something. And he was talking about his whole history and very much passionately Baptist. So it's a, it's quite the um, it's quite the uh, diverse, eclectic mix of the, the Baptist world is uh, quite a mixture. That's right. I was and, and, I, and, it, and I think that that's important. We and we reflect that at BJC. You know, our, our work is supported by 15 different Baptist denominations. A lot of people, you know, kind of raise their eyebrows at that. There are 15, there are actually many more than 15. Um, but that, I think, just shows a sliver of the diversity of the Baptist movement. Yeah. And, you know, I was thinking of uh, a part of what I learned from my grandparents was what it means to be Christian, you know, not just to believe Christianly, but to live as a Christian. And I think what you've named so well is that this this Christian nationalism that we're going to talk about, it's not just a political 
crisis, but it, it's also a spiritual crisis because when we think back to that anniversary of January 6th, the Jesus flags and all the, you know, the Trump signs, the Confederate flag next to the Christian flags and the Jesus saves flags and the don't tread on me flags. I mean, there was a lot going on, but it was, it was just stunning when they took over the, the, um, uh, the, the, the Senate chambers there and um, the, the fellow with the horns, you know, prayed, but he prayed in Jesus name. Right. And really you could see the, the kind of what you said, the icons and symbols of Christianity, the language of Christianity um, really used, misused and abused. And as I was thinking of old Basil back in the fourth century, I think the early church would have called a, 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 a council to denounce this as a heresy. And that's what you've named it. That's the statement that we all read together that Red Letter Christians was a part of was really to address this first as a spiritual crisis in the church. So um, as we talk about that, maybe first you've done so such good work at, ta- at helping define what Christian nationalism is, because it feels like that word's getting or those words are getting thrown around a little bit. So Give us a little bit of a grounding in that and then talk about that spiritual side of it, Amanda. Yeah. So you mentioned our work together on Christians Against Christian Nationalism. This was a grassroots initiative that BJC helped launch with the help of many others back in July of 2019. And our project then, we were alarmed at the increasingly violent nature of Christian nationalism and specifically attacks that were occurring at houses of worship. I mean, talk about an attack on religious freedom. We should have the freedom to gather for corporate worship without fear of of, for our lives. And, And we know that through history, there are many instances where that has not been the case. But we were seeing, you know, after Mother Emanuel AME Church and the Tree of Life Synagogue um, and, you know, Christ Church, New Zealand, mosque killings and, you know, all of these different things, both in America and on the world stage, a really alarming trend. And, and we thought it was urgent at the time that we draw attention to this idea of Christian nationalism to try to give language and understanding to what we were seeing. Christian nationalism isn't new. It's been a a pervasive and persistent force in American society for centuries, Um, but we haven't always had the language to talk about it. And so part of our goal at Christians Against Christian Nationalism was to create some common understandings and definitions. And so the definition that we give to Christian nationalism is a political ideology and cultural framework that tries to merge American and Christian identities, suggesting that to be a true American, one has to be a Christian, and that real Christians espouse certain political views. Um, so, So merging these identities in ways that are a threat both to democracy and our equal citizenship, Um, under the Constitution without regard to religion, but also a threat to our faithful walk as Christians. Um, Because when we merge political and and religious authority, that very quickly leads to idolatry. It replaces Mm -hmm. the gospel of love that we celebrate during this Christmas season, the birth of love into our world. It replaces that gospel of love with a false idol of power. Um, It also serves to domesticate our Christianity. It it gives the state 
um, control and sanction over what our religion is. It, it, it causes us to be used and abused by the state um, in ways that that really distort Christianity beyond recognition. In our statement around Christian nationalism, we also talk specifically about white Christian nationalism, about how Christian nationalism provides cover for white supremacy and racial subjugation, how it mm. overlaps with those things and, and, and you know, often uses more coded language than explicitly racist language. But in some ways, that's even more dangerous because it's it's more difficult to to recognize and to root out. Mm. Um, so so we felt a need back in 2019 to start having some of these common understandings and definitions and to start building a grassroots movement of Christians who could provide an alternative Christian witness to the public square um, to because Christian nationalism because it uses, as you say, Shane, uses the the images of Christianity. It uses the language, the Bible verses. It uses the Christian flag. It uses Jesus's name. To a common observer, they could think that that was Christianity. Um, and we think it's important for for Christians to explain why that's not um, authentic Christianity, why that distorts our religion, and to provide an alternate witness. And so. By the time January 6, 2021 happened, um, we were 18 months into this campaign. We we had some of the language and tools to help understand what was happening that day. And so since that time, we've tried to use the campaign um, to to further explain how Christian nationalism influenced the insurrection, as well as other places that Christian nationalism continues to pose an urgent threat. Yeah, there were already, already lights on the radar, uh, giving us a little right. heads up on this. And, and Jonathan, I, I know we're, we're excited to hear a lot from Amanda, but I, I, I can't help but want to hear a little bit about you about the race side of this, because you've done such good work that overlaps with this, it, sort of naming how old this is, uh, mm. the, the slaveholder religion and the, um, the, the competing narratives of what our faith is really about and how that does have a real distinct, you know, racial divide given our history. So, so say a little bit more about that, bro. Well, I mean, I think this is a huge thing that all of us are having to untangle in contemporary culture. Um, I mean, you, you look at the reaction against the basic statement of Black Lives Matter, you know, in public life over the last decade. Um, I mean, how could a Christian disagree with the notion that any life matters. People, black folks are just saying our lives matter. Like yeah. that ought to be something that Christians would jump up and down celebrating, but, but there's so much resistance to that, which makes you have to ask like, where is that coming from? And it seems like it's very rooted in this identity of whiteness that was created, but is very real, you know, in, in uh, the way we function and that uh, people sense is threatened by many things in our public life, not the least of which is the increasing uh, diversity of the United States of America. And so um, I think part of the untangling that's happening and that uh, I've you know, tried to do for myself and have walked alongside people who are trying to do is how do you separate this really false identity of whiteness that is itself a religion 
you know, it, you have to believe it for it to be real. Uh, how do you separate that from Christianity? So sorting out slaveholder religion from uh, the faith of Jesus is in part, I think, the journey of trying to figure out, you know, what is Christianity versus what is this Christian nationalism uh, that's very real? Because like Amanda was saying, it's very interconnected. You know, you, you don't get much Christian nationalism in this country without um, uh, deep connections to the various institutions and movements of white supremacy. Um, yeah. But I, what I was fascinated by listening to you, Amanda, and you noting that there really was this grassroots movement of people who were already trying to challenge the lie of Christian nationalism and really identify and uplift um, more faithful forms in expressions of, of Christian witness. Um, I was fascinated by the way that, you know, January 6th has become such a kind of a, a visual reference for so many people. You know, it's, um, I think it's so powerful because, I mean, you know, the number of people there relative to the population wasn't huge, but it's such a dramatic scene because it was so violent and because it was in this, you know, center of power and identity. Uh, I think it grabs our attention so much that it can be hard to focus on uh, the alternatives. Like what are the other, so I wonder in, in, in your own work, like what are the, what are the visuals that you'd really like people to see of what, you know, Christian faith in public life looks like? Uh, that's not that, right? That it, That's not that kind of uh, distorted Christian nationalism, but is a deeply faithful attempt to bring faith into public action. Uh, what would it look like if that were on, you know, the uh, breaking news emergency interruption of our normal life? Yeah, I mean, and and I think um, I think that you're right that those visuals are are so ingrained now. I mean, um, and and used and the the first principle. So Christians against Christian nationalism. The centerpiece of the campaign is the statement of unifying principles. Mm -hmm. um, it's not a statement of faith um, because I don't. As Baptist, I don't think that there there is a single statement of faith that can unite all Christians. I think it's a it's a very individual um, exercise in in stating your faith, but it is a statement of principles that can unite Christians. And the first principle is that people of all faiths and none have the right and responsibility to engage constructively in the public square. Mm -hmm. So so that provides kind of a a a, um, a descriptive of the visual, right? That I think it's a diverse um, and pluralistic uh, expression of faith. So it's not Christian only, but it celebrates the the myriad faiths that are practiced in this country alongside people who don't claim a faith tradition. Right. That that one not, doesn't need to even be religious um, to be a full American. Right. So that we are all working together and that we're engaging constructively in the public square. We're not using violent means. Um, we are not lying. You know, and I think that was also part of of 
what was happening at the Capitol was it was perpetuating this this big lie, this election lie about who had rightfully won the election. Um, and so we're we're engaging truthfully in the public square. Um, we're bringing our faith to bear, but we're not insisting that our faith and our theology be reflected in in law and policy, um, because because that is a theocracy um, that is antithetical to, to democracy, to a free democracy where the state doesn't control religion, even if it's our own religion, because we know from experience that that religion in the hands of the state uh, is a bad situation um, and that we don't want the force of the state um, to enforce religion. Mm. Um, so I think that the the principles at Christians Against Christian Nationalism give us a framework to look at what faithful political engagement looks like, um, because we we certainly don't want or advocate for a religion-free public square. You know, mm -hmm. I lead a religious advocacy organization. I think that mm -hmm. religion has a vital uh, part in our public square, um, but I think that there's a way to celebrate pluralism and equality and freedom in that public square and to model that in our public advocacy and theology. Oh, thank you. I think that's a beautiful yeah. framework. And it brings to mind so many images. I mean, one I think of right away, Shane, one we were we saw together with our eyes was uh, during the Trump presidency when we were down on the border in El Paso. I remember that day when uh, there were uh, young people, children who had been detained in a detention center and uh, people of faith across the board. I mean, we, we were with you know, Muslim clergy, uh, Jewish rabbis, uh, Christian clergy um, uh, walked together to this detention center and simply requested what's pretty basic for pastoral care, which is that, that we have an opportunity to sit and pray with the people who were being held inside that detention center. And uh, we were not admitted that day, but I think just the, the visual of those folks from so many different traditions saying, this is a common concern, this is a human concern. There are people here that need to be treated like people. I think that's a powerful image of the kind of principles that you were just outlining. And there's dozens of you know examples of what that looks like every day. Yeah. You know, Amanda, I, I was also thinking, um, it feels like this thing is sort of constantly uh, changing and mutating a little bit. And I went to visit uh, Greg Locke's uh, community I, I almost don't want to call it a church because it was very eerie it was mask free you weren't allowed to wear masks although i did you know and this is in the middle of covid and i went because i wanted to genuinely try to see it not read about it or hear what people were tweeting about it but just go see and experience it and i i went and one of the things that was really haunting for me was I wrote an article called um, Christian Nationalism's Delta Variant because it felt like it had, it had sort of mutated, you know, and kind of looking at the virus like this kind of spiritual virus was taking new forms. And one of the things that was interesting was that he really did talk about Jesus. Mm -hmm. uh, he didn't talk a lot about love, but he did use Jesus as sort of... Um, a validation of what he was about. I mean, the same lines that he would call Democrats evil, he would then say, but I, the whole system's corrupt. I just, we're just committed to Jesus. And it was this weird, it was real hard for me to track. And the other thing that I saw that evidenced um, was this kind of 
pseudo patriotism, like that we we really, you know, the flags, everything. I mean, a lot of these militia groups call themselves patriots, but he literally used the image of Pharaoh in Exodus and saying, you know, essentially Pharaoh Biden is coming for you and the only safe place will be on this hill. So it was all about fear, but it was also about the government is coming after us. And there's this persecution coming, whether it's masks or whatever, you know. So it was this weird kind of like we're patriots, but we're also at the same time ready to kill the National Guard if they come, mm. you know, to our church. So there's there's these tensions that they're able to hold that are really hard to understand. I don't know if you've, you know, as Jonathan was saying, untangling it a little bit. If you can yeah. help us with that. Well, well, on both points, you know, I think one, you know, using the name of Jesus, um, both in that in that service and also what we saw at the Capitol and using it in the um, in the Senate prayer. You know, I have described that as Jesus's mascot, you know, this idea that if I'm going to I'm going to try to lend both social credibility and divine sanction to my indefensible actions, and I'm going to do it by just using the name of Jesus attached to what I'm doing, even though nothing even close to resembles resembling what's happening. Um, it was close to the life and example of Jesus in that example. And the second is the patriotic symbolism. And, and I think this is also important in our work at Christians Against Christian Nationalism is we don't have to reject patriotism in order to reject Christian nationalism. And in fact, we explain what patriotism looks like and how different how patriotism takes many different forms. Um, including the right to protest, right, as a patriotic exercise in our in our free society. Um, but to explain the difference between nationalism and patriotism, how healthy patriotism can morph into authoritarian nationalism, and that we need not give up our patriotic symbols in order um, to fight Christian nationalism. The problem is when you wrap the flag around the cross, right? When you when you merge those things as if they're one and the same to to suggest that God has a special love and purpose for the United States above all of their countries. I mean, that's against the gospel and specifically John's gospel of God so loving the world. Um, you know, so this this idea that um, that God has a special role for the United States or that God's hand has been guiding the United States through history for a, for a certain plan for God's uh, plan for the world. That's mm-hmm. where I think um, we get off track and and uh, are 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 straying from our authentic Christian and faithful mm. Christian walk. Mm. Tell us about um, what's going to happen this week with the vigil and, you know, why why y'all are organizing this on the anniversary. Yeah. So Friday, of course, is a solemn anniversary. It's the second anniversary of the January 6th attack. Uh, You know, last year with the first anniversary, there was a lot of media attention um, around a lot of articles, a lot going on around January 6th. I I assume some of that will happen again. But we are also seeing, of course, a change in power at Congress. We've seen we're going to see the dissolution of the January 6th committee. Um, And I think it's important that we as a people continue to draw attention and mark this day for the solemn anniversary that it is Um, that, you know, how close we came um, to losing our democracy that day, how this violent attack on our system 
and could occur. Um, and that, you know, the January 6th committee did incredible work, I think, in really drawing national attention to, to what happened on January 6th. But their work has been somewhat cut short um, because I think they were continuing to discover things and, and they rushed to get their, their long report out right at the end of the year. But it's up to all of us um, as Americans to continue to understand what happened on January 6th. And for Christians, I think that we have a special responsibility to help draw attention to how Christian nationalism influenced the attack and continues to animate election denial and anti-democratic um, tendencies and that we need to, to stay alert to Christian nationalism. So we're planning a sunrise vigil at the Capitol. Um, this is an example of of taking our faith into the public square and engaging constructively in the public square and a, a peaceful, quiet moment of prayer um, to mark the day and to continue to draw attention to how Christian nationalism influenced the attack that day. And to maybe, you know, to your points earlier, to provide that alternative visual. Mm. We'll be right there at the Capitol in a peaceful yep. um, expression of remembrance and uh, that that juxtaposed to what people saw that day in, in violence and in uprising um, provides, I think, an, an important counterpoint to that. Mm -hmm. yeah. Wow. Well, thanks for all you're doing and let people, uh, as we close here, uh, remind people of the website. We'll put it in the show notes and things like that, but your website and also any other resources. You know, we've done several forums. We've got some great mutual friends that have written books on all this, but give us a few uh, ways that folks can follow your work and, and keep thinking on this. Absolutely. Well, um, you can check out more about our work at Baptist Joint Committee at bjconline.org. And we're on social media at BJC on the Hill. And then Christians Against Christian Nationalism, the, the website is christiansagainstchristiannationalism.org. Um, stay tuned. We're launching some social channels for Christians Against Christian Nationalism this year, um, but I don't have any to announce uh, today. Um, you can also follow me on Twitter at Amanda Tyler BJC. And at Christians Against Christian Nationalism, we have a wealth of resources um, that we have created specifically with Christian communities in mind who are looking to understand uh, Christian nationalism more deeply in an effort to ultimately dismantle it. And our work is very self-reflective first. We, we ask people to think about how Christian nationalism has infected their own theologies, their own worship practices, their own expressions of being a Christian, before then looking outward and helping um, the broader society to dismantle Christian nationalism itself. Mm. Um, so I encourage you to check out, we have webinars, podcasts, series, um, discussion guides to go along with all of those things, a three-part curriculum that can be used in small group study um, to learn more about Christian nationalism. And we're continuing to add resources and programming uh, to the website all the time. So sign and, and 
when you go to Christians Against Christian Nationalism, uh, one thing you can do immediately is sign the statement of principles that I mentioned earlier and take a public stand as a Christian against Christian nationalism. And we hope that you'll do that as well. Great. And of course, you can find Christians Against Christian Nationalism on the Red Letter Christian site because it's one of our core co-conspirators and it's always a gift to plot goodness together and um uh, thank you, Amanda. You are a wonderful force for love and for the gospel. That dangerous combination of lawyer and prophetic pastor. Come on. <laughs> Bab- Baptist fire. Well, let, should we close in prayer here, Jonathan? Thank you, Amanda, for the gift of this hour together. Thank you. Let's pray together the prayer that the Lord taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. And uh, this is a prayer that we each day we have at the end of uh, our, our morning prayer. Lord, you are always weaving the things of heaven with the things of earth. You dwell among us, above us, and within us. Make us expectant of angels tearing to do your work. Form us into eager messengers ready to speak peace in broken communities. Amen. May the peace of the Lord Christ go with you, wherever he may send you. May he guide you through the wilderness, protect you through the storm. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. May he bring you home rejoicing once again into our doors. Amen. 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 Thanks, Amanda. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Red Letter Christians podcast. Too often, Christians have used our faith as a ticket into heaven and a license to ignore the world we live in. But at Red Letter Christians, we believe our faith is not just about going to heaven when we die, but also about bringing heaven to earth while we live. For more information on Red Letter Christians and upcoming events, additional resources, you can go to the show notes or our website, redletterchristians.org. You can also support Red Letter Christians by giving a one-time donation or becoming a monthly sustainer. Just go to our website and click the red donate button. Thank you for being a part of this conversation and for being a part of this movement.